Next time someone needs to send you money, tell them to use Zelle. With Zelle, the money goes straight into your bank account, and it typically only takes minutes between enrolled users. And even if the sender uses a different U.S. bank, it still works. Plus, Zelle is already in over 1,600 banking apps, so you probably won't have to download another one. By the way, make sure the sender has your correct U.S. mobile number or email address, so the money goes to the right place. Look for Zelle in your banking app today. How about we heat things up tonight? Ooh, how so? Get a little fresh, add some steam, sizzle and spice. <laughs> Wait, you're talking about going to Outback again, aren't you? Fire things up at Outback Steakhouse. For a limited time, try our Bloomin' Fried Shrimp or get fresh with our new strawberry salad. Go big with our bone-in ribeye or the filet and grilled shrimp on the barbie. Then cool off with a cucumber crush or peanut koala. Try them all before they're gone. Let's Outback. I love having second-time guests on the show. Part of it, I think, is because I just like seeing how people progress in their lives over time, checking back in, trying to nurture those relationships is really important to me. Today we have second time guest, Sarah Dogwelly. If you listened uh, in the past of the podcast, uh, Sarah had a really awesome uh, episode with me where we discussed her yoga practice and we started getting into a lot about life and living and the nature of our existence. Love those conversations. Always enriching and full of information. We go down that route again in an updated fashion uh, in the world that we're living in currently. So I encourage you to enjoy this conversation between myself and Sarah Dogwelly. I had such a good time talking to you last time we were on the podcast and just loved uh, your perspective. I'm looking forward to more of your perspective again. Thank you, Darian. Yes, I remember we had a very interesting conversation. I'm glad to be I remember. Back. Yeah, yeah. I remember we were talking about, I think, like yoga. We were talking about yoga and your practice of yoga. And what I thought was very interesting, the different perspectives you had about that. And it was a while ago that we talked. So tell me what's been going on in your life since then. Uh, yeah, well, um, as you know, we're in the midst still of a global pandemic, so a lot has changed in terms of teaching yoga. Um, yeah, around March, basically, it was that we were told that we couldn't teach at the studios anymore. Um, so a lot of people moved to teaching online, and I've also been teaching online since then. And uh yeah, really actually found the benefits of, of teaching and practicing um, and connecting with students through the internet. So it's been, yeah, it's been really interesting. Have you done any online classes like practicing or sports or yoga? Have you tried that? Uh, I haven't personally tried as a participant, but I've had a, a live uh, virtual personal training service for the past several years. Yeah. So um, I'm very used to offering the service. Uh, so for me, it was a very easy transition just because it was just it was my business anyways before. Yeah. Um, so it was very interesting for me to observing other people moving into it that it wasn't they had never planned to go into it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also people have been teaching yoga online for for years before this, mm -hmm. but. 
for many of us, it was, yeah, it was just a, a way to adapt. And what was really great for me was that I found that I could connect with students internationally. So not just those who were there locally, but also students that I'd met in, in retreats before who live in other countries. And yeah, actually, since then, I've also moved uh, countries. So I moved to Austria to start with a master's degree. And yeah, the great thing is that when I was leaving and saying goodbye to my students, then they were all asking, okay, so can we continue online? Um, so that's been a really great opportunity to, to see that we can connect internationally and no longer bound by, you know, the physical location. Have um, you talked to any of your colleagues who've, who have struggled with moving to online? Um, yeah, I have actually. Well, actually, what, what I found and with other colleagues as well, what we agreed was the struggle was after we got used to teaching online um, and then around July, they allowed us to open the studios again in the Netherlands. And then we we decided to keep some of the online classes because there were you know some students who preferred to to not go to the studios just yet so we created like a hybrid you know in person and online class style where um we would have the laptop with the with the webcam and the students at the studio at the same time and that was a bit of a challenge to uh, divide the attention in a way or to you know be present for both online and offline students and what was really strange was like because I spent so much time in the last months teaching online I almost felt like I knew how to connect better to the students online rather than the one <laughs> face to face I, it became unnatural already Yes. In a few months. Yeah. You know, what's funny. You said that, you know, we think alike. It was very similar. I remember I, w I've, I went back and listened to our last conversation. I was like, Sarah has a different mentality. I think a lot like mine and you're willing to put out different ideas and mm -hmm. thoughts. And um, when I started doing live virtual uh, years ago, I spent I, all of my business has been live virtual since then. So I, I don't really have a lot of contact with people in person, but um, I would fly out to see different clients I had across the country once every three months or so. And it felt awkward working with them in person. Like it was a weird adjustment every time I would see them in person after a long time, because it felt easier to train them through the lens of the camera than in person. And I've kept thinking, is this weird to me? Like, am I the only one that thinks this is weird, you know? Yeah, well, why do you think that is? I mean, is that like a switch that we, is it because, I don't know, we get more confident behind the camera or just being, you know, in the safety of your own home or what do you think that is? I have a strange idea why I think it was weird. It was almost like, I think your life is based off the lens that you're living in. And so, you know, if you're in Austria, or you're in the Netherlands or Germany or in the United States, often your experience is very um, moved by where you're at and the people you're around. And I think for me is like, 
I had just gotten so used to seeing people and their mannerisms and their behaviors through this lens of this live virtual camera. So when I would see them in person, they didn't seem real to me. I know that sounds weird to me. They didn't seem like real people or the the real version of themselves in person versus what I saw through my phone or iPad, whatever. I know they're the same people, but just how they moved and how they looked and being in front of them, it felt like a completely different version of them. And I had to like adjust to like being in their space. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Although I also had um, one of my students that she basically attended almost every, she attended classes every week online. And after the quarantine period, she invited me for lunch at her home. And Mm -hmm. when we saw each other, she commented on my hair and said like, oh, you've colored your hair. And I said like, yeah, but you know that, right? Like you, we've seen each other. You've seen me like, I just saw you yesterday. And she said like, no, but I haven't seen you in person. You know, it felt like I'd seen her in person all the time. So with, you know, some situations it felt like it had been really natural that we hadn't been apart at all. So, yeah. but I know exactly what you mean about that. Like it doesn't seem like the same person. It feels a bit like a stranger when you see, yes. them, especially if you've met online. So yeah, with this new study that I'm about to begin, uh, we've been doing everything online so far, getting to know the faculty and Today I had a, a introduction tour on the campus and I met for the first time the um, one of the members of staff and and in person and I was just looking at him and I was like oh you're nothing like what I know you to be you know it's like a completely yeah. different person Yeah I think that's it's not being talked about a bunch but for me having kind of a several year head start I just noticed all these things was like the first three months of doing it. It was like, okay, the adjustment. And then it was kind of like, ah, do I want to keep doing this regularly? Then I, then I got over working at home and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to hang out and do this. And then I just settled in and it just became my reality. I think it's a lesson of that. You can do almost anything. And at some point you'll get used to it. It'll become your reality. And then when you alter that reality, and for me, a lot of the clients I had initially were people I had trained in person for ages. So when I would come back and see them after doing online with them, they still seemed like different people to me, even though I had trained them in person. So it was like I was always trying to readjust my reality when I would be next. And they would say the same thing to me. They would say, Darian, I'm so used to seeing you through this lens that when you're next to me, I... I know you, like, I know who you are, but I feel like you're a stranger to me, like you said, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's very fascinating. Something to do with the human psychology as well, I think. As yeah. you said, like, we're always adapting and the, the mind is always in that state of, you know, making the new normal or what, you know, that key term that we've been hearing a lot as yeah. well, the new normal. Yes, and like people saying, I, you know, I... I want things to go back the way they were or something, or they say, well, I can't get used to this. And I think is that whether you want to get used to it or not, your your brain starts rewiring itself to get used to the environment. And 
if you're to spend long enough in quarantine or not seeing somebody, it starts to alter your reality. I kind of put it in a sense of like, if you go on vacation, let's say you go on a crate lot, like two, three month vacation or just get away, your reality starts to change. Your home becomes different to you. It becomes a new place you've been. The longer you've been there, that becomes your reality for that. Yeah, well, do you? That's something that I've actually been kind of, you know, concerned about. Is that I know a lot of people who suffer from anxiety or uh, those people who are at risk of, you know, you know, the higher risk groups that have been isolating for a longer period of time. And my concern is that you know maybe they're going to be isolating for much longer and. Maybe suffering from more from depression, or you know, having a hard time in reintegrating into society. Um, so, since you've let's say you've already been remotely connecting with people for a while, like how do you see that impacting these people who maybe they no no longer want to leave their house? Like, for example, my mother, she's over sixty five, and in the last three months, I think she's gone out maybe a handful of times for a walk and she's she's like definitely not wanting to go back to uh working on face-to-face projects at the moment and you know I, i while i really want her to stay safe and that's my first priority i also worry about you know is it gonna be like this well we just said like nothing is forever you know everything changes yeah but it does feel a little bit like is this going to have a longer term impact on people's psychology and what what do you think about that i do think it will i think we are not necessarily prepared for what that's going to look like i think we're you know we're for many people we're concerned about the present and what's happening and i think that's why we have a hard time with long term things it's because like when this first broke out and different things, there's there were a lot of people like, well, it's just a couple of months or three or four months. And then the reality sets in that it's much longer. I think we have a hard time accepting our reality when it's not the one we prefer. Yeah. But then we don't understand the the consequences of that reality. And so we generally just confront the new reality and the problems of it when they crop up. So I don't think we really understand the gravity of what's going to happen over time for it. Yeah. But all I can look at is kind of like, I I went from working constantly at a place and gyms and things of that nature for 17 years. And I immediately cold turkey cut that off and started my live virtual business, my other spa fitness consulting business. So I went from working in a place to literally in a week's time working at home all the time. And for me, it was not a huge adjustment, but then again, I wanted the change. Most people that I, I don't think they're, they're wanting the change. They didn't want this to go remote, you know, and, and be, nobody wanted to not be around other people. So it's the, it's the acceptance game versus the fighting, the denial game and all that. And I think there's just consequences we're not prepared for, honestly, and we won't know until it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It's hard to know. I don't know. I yeah. I see I see it in my daughter who's who's almost 9 
I think she is crumbling slightly under having not a lot of contact with kids. And I worry about children more than adults generally. Um, but, you know, so it's, you have to be creative with kids and things and try to make sure that they're getting that connection that they need, but then also attending to other things in life. I think the internet's great and it allows like, like me, I have built a life where I'm constantly getting stimulated by talking to other people. I have my podcast every week. I have my businesses, my live virtual training. I'm seeing people all the time in that spectrum. I'm constantly getting inundated with stimulating conversation. But what about the people who don't do that? Or they're not thinking of how do I be proactive to do that? They're just alone. And that I worry about. Yeah, yeah, true. Exactly. Those. That's exactly what I'm referring to as well. So... Like you said, yeah, the internet is a great tool and, and through the internet we we get the opportunity to connect and, you know, see people. But as I my experience, like being together with people again, the it's a completely different sensation, it's completely different yeah. benefit to, you know, also being able to hug someone and um I miss that the most, yeah, by the way. <laughs> I think maybe that's also going to be a, a reintegration process. I mean, we humans have overcome uh, pandemics in the past, so we can have faith that we're going to overcome this one too. And then, like you said, we can't really determine right now how or what, but maybe that's going to be something that you know healthcare workers are going to be working more towards you know, reintegrating people, re, yeah, reconnect. Yeah, we're, it's going to be a weird, it's a weird time, mm -hmm. but like in the U.S., after the 1918 pandemic, the flu, there was the roaring 20s, and it was a time of uh, tremendous celebration and things in nature, and then I think, oh man, then 1929, the Great Depression hit, <laughs> that's not good, you know, but who knows where it's going to head, but it feels like we're always very unprepared for these things. And for and I mean like in anything in life, you know, we're not a very proactive species. We kind of take things as they come. We seem just woefully unprepared for everything that comes around in our lives, I swear. You know, but I feel like there's just uh this one's just really strange because when something doesn't happen for over a hundred years, and the last thing we tend to forget about the consequences of things that are far, far away in our kind of rearview mirror. And, and time is always, time elapsing is what changes people's perception of things. The, the, the can, space kind of time continuum you go, Oh, that's terrible. But then you get 15, 20 years from now, your, your, your mind starts to dim the consequences of what those things were, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we also, have a tendency to take things for granted the way that they are. And that was one of the, the things that I was confronted with the most, like with having to go into lockdown, just realizing how fortunate I've been, how um, lucky I was to, to be able to travel as much as I did. And, and then, yeah, you only realize in, in retrospect once it's taken away and, I mean that's not a new thing. It's not no very unique to me. And and even though we know 
we we still fall back into the same patterns and i think in a way this we can bring it back to the subject of of yoga in that you know yoga is about awakening and you know becoming aware and it's a practice that we do daily and that means that you know every day we're practicing again to become awake to become aware and so that kind of implies that it's in human nature to to forget and it's human nature to you know fall asleep and that's you know metaphorically sleeping not literally but also and um i don't know i think that also philosophers and, and great writers have written about this for years about mm. centuries this is human nature but i also get the impression that you know maybe this is going to start changing because we do have this like trend of spiritual awakening going on more and more i think that we do see that wave of spirituality becoming you know maybe considered a little bit more valuable while in the past recent past you know science was regarded as you know the all all uh, encompassing truth nowadays i think even scientists are looking a little bit more towards spirituality and that in that i'm not talking about the religious spirituality but more in terms of like you know meditating and practicing that awareness connection not only to yourself but also you know connect thinking that we're more globally connected you know that we have a global consciousness and i think that in a way one of the benefits of this pandemic was also to feel that global connection you know and and it kind of felt for a moment like equalizing the playing field although i know you probably experienced that not in the same way in the united states that mm-hmm. maybe highlighted even more the the class distinction but at least from from my perspective i experienced that as you know nobody gets away and i think a lot of people did too like whether you're rich or poor you know it doesn't matter if you're the prime minister of of the uk you know you, you nobody gets away health is you know equal for everyone in that sense so i think for a moment it also made us more compassionate towards each other and i also experienced that like in moments where there would maybe conflict would arise and people would say like yeah okay look we're all going through a hard time now so let's not you know make it more difficult for each other and yeah of course then then what followed well what we've seen from europe european perspective what's going on in the us um which is very sad i find it very very sad yeah unfortunately it's just created i don't know public outrage riots a lot of um what do they call them mask what do they call them the ones who refuse to wear the masks Oh, I, I don't know. Yes. People who don't listen. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I'm interested in the European perspective, you know, about what's going on in the United States. I mean, for me, I grew up in Europe and the United States, and, and I'm very familiar with European culture. 
obviously American culture. And I, I do wonder, and, you know, I haven't been there in a while, but, and obviously you don't speak for everybody as European, yeah. clearly, but in your perspective, you know, living over there and, and observing what's going on in the United States and talking to different people in your circles, what has been the, the perspective or the feedback? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, from my perspective only and from my circle, um, it's it just looks like there's uh um how to say it um there's no order right there's it's just chaos chaos yeah. yeah it looks like chaos and i do have some friends um i've like what i see in the news is you know cases are soaring in texas and i have a couple of friends in texas when I speak to them, they're still going to work and they're, you know, saying, okay, there's a lot of work, life is difficult, but we're, you know, we just have to get on, just have to, you know, pay the bills, get on day by day. And I also, one of my friends just says, you know, he just pretends that nothing's happening and he's not really affected by this. So I think in a way, it could be also that the way that it's portrayed in the news, as usually is the case, it's not as as bad on the, the ground level or on the personal level, depending on where you are. Well, from my personal opinion, I think that we need to still be careful and, you know, especially recognize where are the, you know, the highest risks and where are the, you know, most impact that potentially for example in elderly homes you know so don't go to an elderly home if you have flu symptoms because that's a like a time ticking time bomb you know um so yeah what it looks like is that there's no no consideration there's not a lot of awareness about what are the potential risks you know what are the greatest risks in this situation and it's more like a political game or yeah like it's it's very getting very connected to politics and i think well it is really yeah. to politics because we need public policy you know healthcare is a part of public policy but on the other hand i mean there's this a lot of i see a lot of people saying like they want to control us they want us to home and while you know and yeah. it's very important to to ask like who are they i mean they there are five major media conglomerates that that own all of the media of the world i mean is it them that now all of a sudden have an interest in us staying home and you know for example, here in Austria, this is one of the countries in Europe that had the highest number, second highest number of cases in Europe. And so being here now, I, I'm meeting people that they, they had COVID, you know, they, they did get sick and mm -hmm. maybe their family members did die. And it's like, we have to realize that whoever they are, they, they can't have such a great interest in causing so many people to die or to get sick. So I think, yeah, this, 
conspiracy theories. It's important to, you know, always stay critical. I'm a big supporter of, you know, being critical of what we hear in the media. But on the other hand, I think this, um, you know, oh, we're not going to do what they want. We're going to go out anyway. This is just putting people at risk unnecessarily. You know, if we could just have a little bit more education around, okay, what what is this virus? What are the impacts? What is the mortality rate? To like really understand, to understand it very, you know, simply and clearly and maybe to carry out more testing and so that we can identify, you know, those threats. And um, actually, as part of this you know, study, I'm going to be studying um, healthcare and social management. And part of this was a mm. lecture series. We already uh, did like a whole series on COVID-19 lessons learned. And something that stuck with me was... Um, one of the lecturers, he showed a picture of uh, war, war times and these soldiers on a field. And then one of the soldiers was carrying a donkey on his back. And he said, okay, what do you see here? Okay, why is this soldier carrying a donkey on his back? And he explained that they were in a minefield. So the risk would be that if the donkey would step on a mine, he would kill all of the soldiers that were trying to cross the minefield. So he said, the moral of the story is sometimes we have to carry the jackasses on our back. (laughs) Exactly. And that really stuck with me. And he said, like, we need to impose, governments need to impose, that is, strict measures, stricter measures on those who are irresponsible, you know, who don't consider, like, I could be putting people at risk, you know, I could be, for for example, with me, I have a lot of students who are falling into the elderly category. Mm -hmm. So if I would go and, you know, start teaching them and getting too close, I'm aware of that, that I would put them at risk. So... But I don't see a lot of people having the same consideration, unfortunately. And yeah, you I know. would say, and um, it's interesting that perspective. Thank you for that. Um, the United States is a very interesting place. I would say, in a sense, that we are one very large country that operates as many separate countries, basically, and I. I feel like I can speak pretty well to that because I was given the great fortune of growing up in a military family and living in all over the United States. And from the Northeast to Southeast, Southwest, Midwest, West Coast, I've lived almost in every aspect of this country. And all parts of this country are completely different. Complete, it'd be like going from France to Germany to England literally that's what it's like in the united states culturally except we're supposed to be one nation and i think the larger a nation gets the much harder it is to have a complete buy-in on a single mindset about something and our country is extremely polarized and politicized and so uh, our two-party system of 
Democrats and Republicans have made it very difficult for there to be a consensus about almost anything. And so it, it creates this weird sense of also in our country, which is the great thing and the curse, I think, is our sense, our freedom of speech and expression is wonderful, but it also creates this sense of like, don't tell me what to do. I don't want anybody telling me how to live my life. Um, don't encroach upon my civil liberties. And so I think that that natural sense, this wonderful thing we have also backfires on us in many ways, because then we don't have a united consensus about taking care of each other. Uh, we have probably the worst healthcare system on the planet, based off of my experiences living abroad, living here. It's horrible. It's terrible. Um, and everybody here knows it. They know it. And not, you know, it's just, it gets caught up in the gridlock of politics. So, and kind of wrapping it around with COVID-19, I think our response has been very messy because we are a very messy country in terms of the differences amongst us, the, the lack of consensus. The t we have a very team mentality. You're on this team or that team or whatever team. And even if you think the other team may be right about something, we don't want to admit that and upset people on our team. I think it's a huge mistake that we make. And it's part of our undoing in this whole thing is we can't agree on anything. And then the media and the policies and it just everything, the spinning nature, the editorial nature of our news, different things, it just creates craziness. Like my wife watches the BBC instead of the, she's like, they, it's, it's more factual, you know, about what's going on in the United States than what's actually being broadcast here for that, you know? Really? And uh, so it's, it's a, it's a wonderful place, but it also, like any place, it has a lot of problems, I think on certain levels uh, with it. And I think um, our response to our pandemic has been pretty pathetic. I'm just saying, I may get hit by a lot of people about it. It's okay. But I mean, if you're being honest, I have no allegiance to either side of things in the United States, whether p politically, it's just our lack of consensus has not been good. And our inf media information is crazy all the time. And our consideration for the well-being of others is really not, not very well done. I mean, we're out for ourselves in, in many ways. And I think that is what hurts us a lot is you can go to one place or one city in the United States and it's, man, masks are like 100%. People are all into it. They're taking care of each other. And you can go to another place and people rebel against it. They're like, no, don't infringe upon my civil liberties, all this stuff. There's no consensus with people. And then if you try to say, have the government do more, people go, I don't want the government telling me what to do. So it's like, how do you win on that, you know? Yeah, I think... I mean, I totally understand it as well. You know, I do. And, and I don't think it's necessarily only in the US. I think that everywhere there's kind of a bit of confusion. And I've been feeling that too for the last few weeks, just very confused because, you know, at first we had like huge uh, impact, shut down everything, you know, economies coming to a halt. And then for the last few weeks, we're hearing, okay, cases are rising again. Um, we have to be careful. And yet it seems like the governments are, are a little bit quiet and a little bit too quiet. And 
in a way, yes, it's it's also like when the government starts to tell us what to do, quote unquote, um, which is in a way it's a development of public policy, which is absolutely necessary. Well, we feel controlled and we we start to get paranoid, like, well, why are they telling us to do this? What what is the you know, what are the interests in this? On the other hand, there is no other body, you know, there's no even, you know, the World Health Organization stepped up and there was this international, you know, body, the World Health Organization, giving information. And for example, on LinkedIn, I I saw a post from the World Health Organization and underneath there's like a hundred comments saying like, why are you trying to ruin our mood with these kind of updates? And it's just it's just incredible. I mean, I don't think you can ever make people really happy also in, in this kind of crisis yeah. situation. But I think that there needs to be a kind of social body that we consider, you know, giving correct information, giving good advice and, you know, education. Like we need to be educated on how to deal with the pandemic because yeah you know we've never experienced this before totally totally and you know there's an article that came out today i should send it to you i think it's pretty good it's about the us but there's a real big growing issue in our country with um obesity and vaccination and how vaccinations are essentially less effective for people who are obese or extremely unhealthy and that we could be facing a serious problem because the United States, 107 plus million people are considered obese and our population's in the 300 plus million. So we're approaching 50% of our population obesity. And then the next 15, 20 years, you can expect that to be a 65% ish, maybe 70. So your healthier individuals will be an anomaly in our country in the future. And I've been telling people this, obesity is our next pandemic, actually worldwide, because it's increasing worldwide, but it's just not become important to people because it's not like a a death right now pandemic or super severe. It's kind of this slow encroaching pandemic. And it's kind of the big elephant in the room that nobody wants to discuss um, with what's going on. I think as someone who's in the health and wellness field, it it concerns me greatly because our trajectory is just massively on the upscale with uh, how unhealthy the United States is. Um, And so I'm making, I'm really looking at this and go, you know, this is, this is a major problem, obviously what we're dealing with and we need to educate people on what's going on. But uh, our, our country is suffering dramatically, Sarah, from obesity with COVID-19. Whereas I'm not sure, I I can't speak upon this. I don't know about Europe and places like that. There may be more instances related to high volumes of cigarette smoking and respiratory issues. I'm not sure. But at least in the United States, this is a gigantic issue and will exacerbate what's going on continually. True, true. I mean, that's also one of the things that, you know, our perception, European perception of the United States is. And... Actually, um, yeah, it's, it's like not really funny example uh, of how I, you know, I'm aware of this, but 
um, when I first started teaching yoga and I was considering, you know, which branch of yoga to, to dive into. And I really want to help people to feel healthy. So, you know, and to make yoga feel accessible to everyone. I'm not really into this Instagrammable yoga style, but more, you know, going for those who, who need it more, you know, to, to feel healthy in body and mind. And I came across this style of yoga, to call it like that, called curvy yoga. So hmm. uh, I started to, and you can study like cur- curvy yoga teacher training. It's, it's from a lady based in the U.S. And um, yeah, it's because those, you know, postures that we learn when you're, especially when you're in a teacher training course, then you're with people who are in this more or less same level of physical fitness, you know, and you don't become a teacher really when you're, but there are, of course. And so it was very interesting to me to, to learn about this curvy yoga and how, you know, people who have, who suffer from obesity can adjust and adapt the practice and still, you know, be very strong and really, benefit from from practicing so i decided okay i'm going to start doing this in the netherlands and uh so the first part of this journey was to find the obese people and basically i couldn't find um i couldn't find it really well of course they exist but you know it was just it wasn't highly it was harder to find definitely it was like it was way much harder and especially in Amsterdam, I mean, Amsterdam is a very fit city. Yes. There's a gym on every corner and, and there's, you know, it's basically, you know, people are working out daily and, and being healthy and fit and also drinking lots of alcohol and partying. But yeah, um, <laughs> they're definitely like very focused on, on physical exercise and, and yoga. So yeah, that was the very short life of my curvy yoga experience that was it <laughs> <laughs> that was, i gave up i was like look this is just it's not really you know the market the market is not really here i mean of course it exists but it wasn't as it wasn't the most accessible market for me in that moment there you know and maybe i could have looked in different places to get that you know maybe through the hospitals or yeah yeah you know but yeah in that sense, like it wasn't something that's so commonplace, like you said, almost 50% of the population over there. And over here, I think it's definitely an issue in the United Kingdom. But I see the UK and America are going a lot more parallel with each other compared yes. to the rest of Europe. So, yeah, I think this is one of the things like that, it's just it's just devastating. I mean, there needs to be a major overhaul, you know? There needs to be more I don't know, like where is it going wrong? What's what's the missing link? It's, you know, obesity leads to depression, depression leads to obesity. Like you said, it it just leads to a myriad of sicknesses and and I just think you know, why isn't the government investing heavily into education? Just that's the first point to start. Yeah, it's interesting. I think in our country, especially, um, there's this weird kind of insidious wheel 
of money and greed related to this. Because one of the things is if you if you got your population extremely healthy and they didn't have to be on a tremendous amount of medication, it would severely harm farm, uh, big pharma companies, pharmacological companies, pharmacies, and things of that nature. And once something becomes a very large business, they'll do anything to keep it a large business, even if it means potentially keeping a population unhealthy on some level for that. And that is very sad. So you're fighting these large machines and uh, backroom dealings and things of that nature. Like I truly believe the United States is in big trouble. And I'm not just, I'm not talking about COVID-19. I'm talking about the future of the health and wellness of our country. And, uh, we're not dealing with it. We're sweeping it under the rug. We, we say we're dealing with it, but we're making fit people much fitter, but not really changing the fortunes and perspectives of people who are struggling with obesity. I mean, in the United States, 15 to 18% of people exercise regularly. That has not changed in the past 30 years, that percentage. That's mind-blowing. If you had any business that didn't change it's numbers that were that dreadful in 30 years. You wouldn't even be around. That business would never survive after a few years for that. And we somehow have continued to become worse in terms of our health. We've had less exercise, continually dreadful numbers. And I think that's the strange thing about gyms and reopening during COVID. And I feel for so many gym owners and people, I mean, I don't want anybody's business to go under and, and their livelihood and things of that nature. But the, the strange irony is that if you look at the actual percentage, not a lot of people are using them anyways, generally speaking. It's not like you reopen a gym and it goes back to 80% of the population is going to be using those gyms. That was never happening before. It's not going to happen after for that. So. It's just very interesting. Like when I was growing up in Europe, I rarely saw somebody in Europe, anywhere I traveled, that was even overweight. I saw a lot of skinny people smoking a lot of time. I definitely saw that a lot. Uh, but it was very rare to see somebody who looked large when I was growing up in Europe, partially. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that's a, a huge difference. And yeah, pun not intended, but yeah, I think... Right. Yeah. I think that somehow it's also, you know, even integrated into the culture, the the, the American culture, um, just because I, I remember um, I was getting a tattoo a couple of years back and there was a guy from America. He was actually quite fit and he, he went hiking a lot in the mountains from, um, I don't remember the name of the state where he's from, but mountainy, beautiful area. And he was quite fit. And he was, you know, older and anyways. Um, so when I was kind of like brainstorming ideas for the tattoo and I said, I, I said like, look, I could get this, this tree or this bigger tree. And he said, oh yeah, you should get the bigger tree because bigger is always better. And I <laughs> remember that I, cause I was just like, that's just so American, you know, like, <laughs> It's a tattoo on my body. Like, why is bigger better? It's just that's you it's know, not. that's the, you know the super size. Uh, yeah, bigger is always better. Kind of culture that it's so integrated that he would consider it. You know. Yeah, it's kind of like in our in in the United States uh, in the 
it might as well be its own country. Seriously, it's so big. Texas, yeah, is it's the whole thing is like everything's bigger in Texas, you know. And uh, this whole mentality of like I've lived there too. Another state I've lived in is, you know, this tremendous amount of of more. It's like oh, you go to a restaurant, get the biggest steak possible and stuff. You know, it's like it just transcends everything. Acquire as much as possible. Get as much as possible. Yeah. And that's part of kind of a capitalistic society. You know, it's people are striving for wealth all the time and accumulating as much as possible. I do th- think, though, that in the United States, there is a little bit of a turn in that. I think people are realizing that having everything doesn't mean that much and acquiring incredible amounts of uh, wealth doesn't make you happy. It may give you a lot of options, but it doesn't make you happy in that sense. So I think there's some turning, but there's just a lot of old school mentality. That bigger and everything is kind of this conquering mentality the, the U.S. has. And sometimes it can be funny, but many times it can be very devastating, I think. And you try to acquire as much as possible or you know, eat as much as possible. The eating thing's a funny thing because when I was growing up in Europe and would go back and visit and then bounce back to the United States, eating was like a huge different experience for me going from eating for three to four hours at a restaurant and having small portions to coming back to the United States and the massive levels of food that is served at restaurants. It was like a big adjustment for me, you know, for that. Yeah. So how, how did you end up in, in the field that you're working and you know, how do you see that the impact around you of, of what you're doing? You know, for me, I I was always I always grew up in a very athletic family. So my mother and father were very athletic. My dad was a um, college football player, like American football. Here, um, my brother was a college football player. I was a college track and field athlete. Um, so being um, fit and all that when it comes along with that, the components was just a big part of my upbringing. I realized I was very fortunate for that. That. I had parents who that was important to them. I would watch them work out, go with them to the gym. This is back in the 80s, you know, a very different time. Um, and so it's just something I always wanted to be involved in. And uh, I never had the mentality, though, that I was going to change the world about people being healthier and things. It was more like, I just want to help people one on one. Uh, if I can help one person, hopefully they'll help another person and things of that nature. Um, but I started realizing pretty quickly that I'm in a business that really caters to very fit people, p- p- pretty much. And that um, the people who crave it the most are the ones who are doing it a lot anyways, as it is. And uh, that it's also a large psychological battle too, because we're we're doing something that is for many people is very uncomfortable. You know, we're pleasure, pleasurable beings for a lot of people. Like we want to do things that are easy and comfortable and fun and relaxing to us. And uh, having uh, a really high level of health and wellness requires a tremendous amount of work. And it's sometimes counterintuitive to a lot of people. They say, let me spend this time on myself and it may be uncomfortable so I feel like I've learned so much over the years. It's it's very difficult to get people to be uncomfortable on a regular basis and work on themselves, whether it's psychologically, physically, spiritually, socially, emotionally. We tend to be very 
creatures of comfort, who we socialize around. The great irony of the United States, I think, is, and I feel like I can speak on this, is because I've lived in so many of the states and all parts of the United States, um, for that, I have a good understanding of the different moods and the cultures and the feelings and how people are in the United States. But you have many people in the United States who have never left their city or their state, and they have very strong opinions about some other place in the United States that they've never been, which I think is completely hilarious. If you haven't, I'm not talking about Europe a bunch. I have lived there, so I have some good ideas about it, but I would never make assumptions about a place that I have never stepped foot on and I've never experienced being around the people. And I think that's a big mistake a lot of people make is they have strong opinions about places they actually have no knowledge of. Well, you could say that about me talking about the United States. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've been there, but only when I was 10 years old. So yeah, I only know yeah what I see in the media. And yeah, I think we do all have those. Well, yeah. I think it's also a bit of a human tendency, isn't it, to yes, the us and them, and to you know always make that separation and then make assumptions. It's part of how we well, make sense. Yeah, of, you know. Well, it's funny here in the United States, it's like a bicoastal thing. So sometimes people, and well, people in New York may say, "Oh, those hippies out in California, they're, it's all it's too laid back and all that." And then people on the West Coast are so, "Oh, the East Coast is so crowded." And everybody's attitudes and mentalities. I'll be like, wait, wait, I've lived in both areas. I, I've lived all up and down the West Coast, the East Coast. I could tell you about this, generally speaking, you know? Yeah. But often it's like, have you been out there? Have you spent time in Palo Alto? Have you been to LA, actual like downtown LA, Orange County? Have you been to Manhattan Beach? Have you been to New York City? Have you been to upstate New York? How do you actually know what's going on in these places and how those people actually live? Or are you just going off of what somebody told you or the news that you're seeing about that place? It's very incomplete if you haven't spent time there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I feel so, like people hold themselves back a lot in those ways by yeah, just sticking to those. But like you said, they don't want to step out of the comfort zone, you know? Mm -hmm. And we, we talked about this in our last... In the last podcast as well like there are those people that want to be better and want to develop and grow and then there are those people that are just wanting to stay in the comfort zone and and yeah not look at themselves and not question their their set beliefs and their patterns and yeah can see. most definitely yeah most definitely. Well, tell me about this uh, master's degree. I was like, I have this in my mind. I'm like, I got to get to this because I want to know more about it. It intrigued me when you messaged me that you were moving into this in Austria. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I've been, you know, wanting to edu have some more education for a while. And I was just kind of looking for the right thing in the right place where I really felt like I could grow. And yeah, my, my intention, my goal has been to, to help people to feel healthy physically and mentally. So I came across this study of uh, international healthcare and social management. And it, it seemed like, you know, the perfect opportunity. So I've been teaching yoga for four years full time. And I think that 
yoga is a map. It's one of those maps for healthcare to, you know, be well physically and mentally. Um, but it's just one of those things and it's not everything and it doesn't make you just magically healthy either. So I found that um, also in the last year, um, I've been getting more interested in yoga therapy and, you know, seeing that yoga is being kind of prescribed by doctors. It's being prescribed more for um, even f- for doctors and nurses. So it's, you know, it's by doctors and for doctors. And um, yeah, so I wanted to see, you know, maybe my intention through this study is to um, continue on the yoga path, but to be more of, let's say, like an intermediary between yoga therapists and those people who are vulnerable, those people who really need this kind of preventative health care or alternative health care. You mentioned like the big, the big pharma and the pharmaceuticals and, you know, I've always been kind of, and yoga also talks about this, that uh, sickness, it's when we take medicine, we're just treating the symptom and we're not treating the root cause. So we really need to look into the root causes. So yeah, through this study, I hope to, you know, be involved in like bigger projects where we're, you know, looking at the root causes. So it could be, for example, a specific population, let's say in a factory, the people who work there and they all have back pain because of the working conditions. And to say like, okay, by prescribing this yoga practice weekly, daily, getting the management involved in that to to prescribe this, that we can, you know, prevent that these people are taking painkillers on a daily basis or, you know, yeah, to, to kind of try and reduce the amount of medicine that people need to take by bringing these, it's also more sustainable, you know, it's more sustainable for the world to, that if I just make sure that I'm feeling fit every day, if I'm moving a little bit, if I'm stretching, if I'm sitting and meditating, then I don't need to make this medication. And when we don't need to create tons of medication, then we don't need these huge factories anymore and, you know, less chemicals into the environment. And so I see like a lot of potential benefits in in bringing forward this, uh, you know, more alternative method of being well. And that's yoga. And that's not only yoga, as I mentioned earlier. So I, this is where I'm coming from. So this is all I can really talk about for now, but I hope that through as I start more studying and learning and meeting people that it's going to involve uh, even more so in, in my perspective of yeah, how we can be healthy in an alternative way, you know, from, from that typical take a painkiller and hope it goes away kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that the world is turning a little bit more towards, to your point, uh, you talked about science and spirituality. And I wanted to get your take on this a little bit more because I remember the last time we talked, it was just so, you were just so eloquent about these type of topics. And I think it's good for the audience to hear it. Um, but why is science, in your opinion, maybe more open to the idea of spirituality 
than it has ever been in the past? Um, good question. I mean, I think that it might be because we've seen this like soaring numbers of depression and people on antidepressants and, um, you know, I think that also this high-paced capitalistic uh, culture economy, like we're, we've been seeing more and more that it's just, like you said, it's not making us happy. And I think those like very science-based people have also started to see that they need to stop and they need to stop running and the rat race needs to stop. And this, in the last years, you know, there's increasing numbers of people who are self-employed and, and the, also the burnout thing, you know, like that's been a, a buzzword in the last years, like burnout. And I think that's really been pushing the agenda forward for uh, this spirituality and you can call it self-care, you can call it. And something that's very interesting is um, I saw the Dalai Lama and he was giving a speech. Obviously, I didn't, I saw him from quite far away, but he, I was in the same space as him. And in his speech, he was talking about, um, he said like, Dalai Lama is uh, the Buddhist, let's say, mm -hmm. for those who don't know. Um, and he was talking about like, he said, you don't have to become a Buddhist. Like you don't have to, if you're a Christian, you should continue to be a Christian. If you're a Muslim, like don't, you know, give up your religion. You don't have to become a Buddhist. And he said, Buddhism supports science. We believe in science and we think that we need to develop together with science. Like we, you know, they're, their perspective is so like, yes, science is helping us to explain uh, specifically also those questions about spirituality, about existence, you know. So spirituality is the trying to understand existence. It's trying to understand, um, you know, infinity, right? Because, mm. uh, yeah, so to define infinity we need to define time and space. To define time and space means that, you know, infinity is a kind of impossible concept, although, you know, it's a concept that it's like the circle, you know, the circle is the, oh, what is it? The circle is the only constant, like mm -hmm. pi is the only constant. So science, pi mathematics, but it is, we're talking about constants, we're talking about spirituality. So I think that maybe that kind of Buddhist agenda from the Dalai Lama has also kind of made people realize more and more that, you know, spirituality is not about, you know, hippies hold, holding hands in a circle <laughs> and taking LSD. That's, you know, the 70s was a a good time. I wasn't there, but I've heard the stories. But, you know, mm -hmm. I think nowadays it's just evolved away from that. Like, it's not about, you know, holding hands and singing songs. And it's more about, yeah, coming together as a human race, realizing that our time on this planet is, is finite and the resources are also finite. But on the other hand, 
we do have this, let's say this energy body, right? That we're all made of the same energy, that I breathe the air, that you breathe. And that's not finite, that's infinite. And when we realize that, then we can, you know, kind of leave that suffering that kind of drives us into capitalism and the rat race. Like that comes from the belief that, you know, there's not enough resources for everyone. So I have to take from you so that I have enough, you know? And yeah, I think kind of, yeah, anyway, long story short. <laughs> that, yeah. No, I get it. Totally get it. I, I was telling somebody else in the podcast recently that I truly believe that science, through science, you discover spirituality and through spirituality, you discover science on that. Yeah, And that these are not mutually exclusive things. And for too long, we have said, oh, you're a very spiritual person, so you must not believe in science, or you're a very hardcore science person, so you must not be very spiritual. I never understood why we had to be so rigid about that. Because if, I mean, if you really look at life and you really and you really spend the time to look at life on a very deep level you travel the world you see ama- the, all the amazing incredible feats of nature and life and existence and being born and dying it's very difficult if you really look at it to deny the existence of things that are much greater than yourself it's very difficult to deny that and it's not something to be scared of i think if you're if your life is about gaining as much as you can because you think there's it's just finite for you, then you're missing out on the tremendous nature of the cosmos and the existence and the infinity, which is powerful and amazing and mind-blowing. And uh, I'm, I'm one of those kind of 70s type people on, on a certain level. Like, I'm very into mushrooms. I've said it many times before on this podcast. I'm, I'm just being myself. I remember last year I was looking into going to the Netherlands for, they have an awesome like uh, uh, psilocybin clinic there. And I was like, I might do that or go to one in Jamaica. I'm probably going to do the one in Jamaica, but I'm all about trying to understand infinity even more, go deeper into my existence. And I've also been a lifelong Christian. So, and, but I'm also very into science. I believe all these things work together and that they're beautiful, and that they can be incredibly powerful when you learn to understand all aspects of being alive for that. And I'm hopeful that mo- that people are more tapped into their spiritual self because it is an incredibly powerful, life-altering energy when you can be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. I also, I think that, you know, we we are going in that direction, more and more people. And I hope that, you know, there will be even more just for, you know, more peace of mind, more, yeah, global happiness. I think it's possible and we're headed in that direction. I think so. I think maybe it's slow, but like you said before, maybe these, the time we're in is making us realize some things. And I hope it does too. I mean, I want to be optimistic about it. And, uh, but I love exploring. I want more people to explore who they are beyond their physical being. 
I think that's really important. But I think I do understand that it's very difficult for people to explore that if their basic needs as a human have not been met, you know, safety and shelter and love and all those things. You need to, in many ways, you need to have those things in order to feel like you can give time to other higher order things in life or more conceptual self-actualization. I love what you said about the Dalai Lama. I was actually talking about the Dalai Lama with a connection of mine, Liam McClintock, um, who has this uh, app, I think it's called uh, FitMind. It's really awesome. And he was telling me that the Dalai Lama had said that they were doing science experiments with the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama said, listen, I'm open to, if science disproves what I believe in, I'm open to changing my mind for that. It's the Dalai Lama saying that. That's incredible. Yeah, and, that's, that's that's it, right? It's pursuit of the truth. So yes, you know, we're as in science, spirituality is also pursuing the truth. So yeah, well, we've we've made it separate for some weird reason. You know, I just I don't like that, but I feel like um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you back on when I connected back with you and stuff. Just I just love your perspective, Sarah. You're very easygoing easy to talk to. You have a real uh, wonderful sense about you, this very kind of ethereal sense of how you explain things. And I, I'm very into that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm interested in your journey. I'd love to hear more about your master's degree as you go through it. Have you back on to see what you've learned yeah. during that time. Yeah. Well, and uh, Update you in a year and uh, let you know where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's great to connect with people and to learn about their journey. And, and yours is a journey I definitely want to continue to learn about. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure again talking to you. Awesome. Well, we I will be in touch for sure. All right. Great. Thanks. Take care. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally... A daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about and it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else it's your daily reminder that there is good in the world even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes so get the donut stay informed it's hundred percent free you can unsubscribe anytime Visit thedonut.co or text DONUT to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone. It's a well-known fact that good sleep leads to a happier life. Okay, maybe that's not a fact fact, but don't you just feel amazing after a great night's sleep? Like the first night back in your own bed after traveling. It's time to demand more first night back kind of sleep. Stop tossing and turning and talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day. And visit SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more.
Do you know the risk factors for type 2 diabetes? Or what makes it more likely you or someone in your life might have the disease? With type 2 diabetes playing a growing role in the lives of so many, you need to know. And Project Power, a community program from the American Diabetes Association, is here to help. Take our risk test today at diabetes.org slash projectpower. You can avoid the risk of type 2. Project Power will help. 